I'm Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are in our quarter of Making Friends for God, the joy of sharing in his mission. What an exciting lesson. It is. In fact, that's in the title, <laughs> Lesson 10, an exciting way to get involved. So we're talking about small group ministry this week mm -hmm. and all the reasons why that's such a good idea and such a godly plan. So I'm excited about this lesson. It's an exciting way to get involved. That's the word for the day, exciting. Yes. <laughs> well, this was an interesting lesson. Um, and those of you who, who use the handouts, you're going to notice that this ended up just being one half sheet. Mm. Um, I was conflicted over this lesson a little bit, and uh -oh. we'll go over it why in okay. this in this lesson, not because I have anything against small groups per se. Um, small group ministry has been one of these things that there's just a lot of opinion on it. And sometimes it's, it's uh, presented as the... Um, like a novel idea? Or well, not of... just a novel, like, the, like, the, like the, uh, the, the word is escaping me. That is like the, the, oh, the panacea, the panacea. That's thank gonna you. Fix it all. Yes. Yeah. It's small groups. That's going to do everything. Thank you. Panacea. Yeah. It was, it was right there. <laughs> but, um, and I know we all use that word all the time. Well, we're in the midst of a pandemic. It'd be nice to have a panacea, wouldn't it? But... That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and honestly, you're right though, that people will look at the problems of the church and anything that's going on and say, you know, who's going to fix it? Small groups. I have heard this in my ministry over and over. And there are benefits to small groups. Absolutely. Of course, we want to focus on that in this week's lesson. Um, and, and, and we want to draw out. One thing I ought to probably say here is um, that we have been noticing is when we're, when we're putting together the talking points and, we, and we're getting our key points out of the lesson, one of the reasons that we draw out the points we do, when you're teaching, and it's maybe not something you think that's in the forefront of your mind all the time. It kind of happens automatically from just experience with us is in teaching, you're, you're wanting to always present truth. And in, in many cases, that means heading off error. Yes. Uh, and I don't even, even error can sound real harsh, but just uh, wrong thinking, even just skewed thinking. There are ideas that people have about theological things that, Part of your job as a teacher is to is to clarify that, and we read that yeah. of Christ that Christ took the the truth, gems of truth, out of the the, the rubbish of error that they were in, and, right. and made them clear. And, and and you're right. I've been thinking about that too. We've been discussing this for a while about why it's so important to make things so clear, and how do you make something clear? Yeah. And it's to set it up against something that's false, right? To counter a point or something, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like an opposition to that error, right. here is this truth, but it does help to, if not opposition, but to juxtaposition, right? To put it next to, right. something. like I'm thinking of our talking points thing here. Yeah. Like you can see, by the way, it's nice and level, but it may not be, <laughs> but you can't really quite tell I by the naked eye, but when you, put the grid, the <laughs> when you put the grid lines on, boom, that lines right up, or you yeah. can see this, but when you put out truth on its own, it can have power, of course, but when you put it a little bit next to something that's a little off, you're like, oh, well, I can see the correction there. I can yes. see the need of that correction yes. now because you're you're putting it juxtaposed next to something that's a little askew. And that and that happens in any lesson that a teacher teaches. That's is right. You're going to have those things, and so um, we've mentioned this before. We're not immune to this as Seventh Day Adventists. Mm. We we have things that become a part of our thinking. In fact, it's often the case that bumper stickers and hallmarky sayings <laughs> and things like that that we love so much become the basis of a theology. 
Mm. You know, like for example, there's that there's that popular, and it is a bumper sticker among other things. It says, "I'm not perfect, just forgiven." Well, if I had mm. time to go into that, that's a cute saying. But there's a lot of theological problems with that. Or how about just let but go we, and let God? <laughs> and and but we like the sound of it, and then we quote it, and then we build on it. And then anything many, against that would be a violation of that new thing we just set up. <laughs> and for many, even Seventh-day Adventists, there's more theology based on cliches like that than there is based on scripture. Well, today we want to get into the scripture to get our theology. Is that yes. correct? So we need to start with a word of prayer before we go any further with this. And then let's walk through our main points let's and kind do of that. do this lesson. So let's first start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to study now. Please bless our time together. Uh, help the preparations that are being made even now for the Sabbath school classes to come this week to be uh, beneficial and help the church to be edified as we seek to do your work. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, one of the reasons that um, I think this was more of a challenge this week is that I don't really think the Bible says as much exclusively about small group ministry mm -hmm. as the lesson I mean obviously trying to build a foundation right. but there were things I read in the lesson that just I felt didn't didn't make that point and I'll backtrack a little bit it's in um, it's in Thursday's lesson that the very first uh, uh, read section says read Acts 4.31, Acts 12.12, and Acts 20.17-19, and 27-32, and then list all the different elements in these New Testament groups. What activities are the groups involved in? Well, when you read Acts 20, I mean, the other two just talk about the groups coming and praying, and that's fine, but Acts 20, Paul meets with the elders in Ephesus, but he talks about how his ministry was with the entire church in Ephesus. So to call it like a small group meeting that just has to do with the people there was a stretch for it me. It might be a bit of a stretch. And so I'm just, and that's, that's not to negate. Exactly. That's not to say that the Bible doesn't talk about small groups or the need for organized uh, uh, small companies to do work for the Lord. Uh, but we want to make sure that everything that we do is derived directly from the Bible and um, maybe we should go over our three points as an overview before we dive yes, into them that. specifically. So here's the three points that, that I walked away from okay. uh, this week. Point number one, small groups can be an effective way to minister. Mm -hmm. Notice it says can be, and we'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be a hindrance. Uh, I drew, drew that from Monday and Tuesday's lessons. Uh, point number two, focus on ministry is essential to small group health. Yes. And then point number three, Sabbath school is the <laughs> original small group. Amen. Amen. And uh, those are our three points that we'll get into. Now, before we do that, I want to read, I'm going to read all of Sabbath afternoon's uh, three paragraphs there because it sets the tone for where the lesson is really trying, the point the lesson is really trying to make. Someone has said there is strength in numbers. In a sense, that is true. Have you ever noticed that you are far more motivated to exercise if you are doing it with a group of people than if you have to exercise alone each day. Many people join health clubs, gyms, and exercise facilities because they believe that they will exercise more and enjoy it better if they are exercising with other people. In a similar way, God has created us for fellowship. We are social beings, and as with exercise, it is true with many things in life. We do better if we have a social support system. This is especially true in spiritual matters. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's a well, well said. 
Throughout the Bible, small groups are highlighted as one of God's methods of strengthening our faith, increasing our knowledge of his word, deepening our prayer life, and equipping us to witness. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit participated in a small group ministry. Jesus established his small group of disciples, and the Apostle Paul traveled the Roman world with his small group of evangelistic companions. Mm -hmm. During this week's study, we will focus on the biblical basis for small groups, and you will discover an exciting way to get involved. Mm -hmm. So it's talking about small group ministry, and I'm good with all most of that. Yeah. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, again, that was a little stretch for me. Yeah, yeah. Would it Anyway, I'm not going to go there. Yeah. I'm not going to. But let's talk about the benefits of small group ministry. Our key point number one is small groups can be an effective way to minister. And one of the reasons for that is, and I'm drawing this from Monday's lesson, it makes the work more manageable. And you might want to comment on Exodus 18. Now, the lesson brings that up on Monday's lesson. Exodus 18. Uh, they take us to 20, uh, verses 21 to 25. Well, either way, the story is of the children of Israel as they're leaving uh, their uh, enslavement in Egypt. You know, obviously the book of Exodus, they're coming yes. out, right, under the leadership of Moses. And as you are well aware, the, the trip to the promised land was not intended to take 40 years. The Lord had a very simple plan for them, take them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, go to uh, Mount Sinai to receive the law of God, then head off into the promised land, right? Right. And Exodus chapter 18, of course, is just before they get to Mount Sinai. Chapter 19, they get to Mount Sinai. Chapter 20, he gives them the law. And here, they are a very large, you got to understand the, the context here. When they went into Egypt, there were very, only 70 or so people went in uh, but when they came out of Egypt just a couple hundred years later... Yeah, you've got a whole sermon on this, and you're going to be tempted to break into I'm it. Not, I'm not going to break into the whole thing. <laughs> the point is they have this huge group of people this with a mixed multitude and everything that Ms. White says over a couple million people, and how do you manage them? That's, it's a logistics issue, right? And so we read in uh, how Moses sat to judge the people, and every day he would wake up, and the people would just line up in front of him, and his father-in-law witnessed this working, Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said, what you're doing is not good, okay? In fact, we'll, let's pick it up in verse 17. So Mother, Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Now, what he was doing wasn't immoral or unethical. It just didn't work well. It wasn't practicable. So the advice given in verse 19. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. Now his specific advice is found in verse 20. You shall teach them the statutes and the laws, number one, and show them the way in which they must walk, right? So prescribe certain behaviors, attitudes, right? And a third thing, the work they must do. Mm -hmm. Now, if I were the Sabbath school teacher this week, I would take my class and say, now compare verse 20 with what Moses was already doing in verse 16. Because what what he says there. When they have any difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one another and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. He was doing two out of those three things well already. Right. But the one thing he wasn't doing was teaching the people how to work for themselves. Right. Then verse 21, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So that the work that Moses was doing was to be delegated out through a structure, an organized right. body of smaller and smaller groups so that everyone had a place inside of a group that they could have some accountability and responsibility to carry right. forward the mission. So this was uh, 
uh, one way of making the work more manageable and time permitting, this doesn't just speak to small groups. It spe speaks to pastoral dependency. That's and right. The whole else church. And the framework of exactly. the church today that is not how it was if you look at the New Testament church. That's right. So you have this way of making the work more manageable. And we see this in Exodus. But we also see Jesus incorporating the same idea in the New Testament. Absolutely. And we don't have time to walk through the passage. But in Mark chapter 6, you'll read about the feeding of the 5,000. That's right. And a lot of times when we think of the feeding of the 5,000, I mean, just off the top of your head, you're probably thinking, yeah, you know, Jesus just basically blessed the, and, he, and he just passed food out. Yeah. But that's not what happened, is it? That's right. No. If you look at Mark chapter 6, you can see verse uh, 30, let's see, uh, verse 39. Then he commanded them, of course, he being Jesus, commanded them, his disciples, yes. to make them, the group, the 5,000, all sit down, and notice this, in groups on the green grass. Now, one of the points I like to make when I preach this, which I I'm not going to do I think it's the Gospel now, of John that says in ranks or something. Right, well, it that... adds to it, the next part there. So they sat down in ranks, yes. in hundreds and in fifties. But the idea being, if Jesus simply wanted people to sit down, he could do that very easily. Sit. If he wanted to make the mm -hmm. disciples do it, they could just say sit. But he'd said more than that. He wanted to organize them. And Mrs. White draws out the re Why would they organize the people before handing out? Because this would take some time. Mm -hmm. Getting 5,000 plus women and children to yes. sit down and organize groups with ranks and order. Why? Because he was about to distribute the food. And the picture I always had in my mind is that Jesus prayed. This miracle happened some way. We don't know how. And the disciples just kind of waded through the crowd willy-nilly, just handing right. out bread and fish and refreshment. And everybody just eventually got fed. But then the question is, why organize them? Yeah. And Mrs. White draws this very clearly, that the, the reason that they were organized was so that everyone could play a part in the distribution and the service to others, to teach mm -hmm. the lesson that in the body of Christ, everyone has a part to play. That's right. And that's what it says on Desire of Ages, page 369. Mm -hmm. It says, Christ received from the Father, he imparted to the disciples, they imparted to the multitude and the people to one another. And if you think about that for a second... Is it possible with that large of a group of people that a good number of them never came in direct contact with Jesus or even the disciples, yeah. but were all fed? That's right. Because she adds that and the people to one another. There's a personal individual ministry that can be facilitated Absolutely. in those smaller groups. So we see, you know, point number one, small groups can be an effective way to minister. It makes the work more manageable. Right. And it's an effective way to incorporate the talents of everyone. That's right. Everyone was involved in the feeding of the 5,000. So everybody yes. was put in. And, and and so in the book of Exodus, when you had captains of, yeah, you know, all the, the way captains down to tens, of 10s yeah. didn't do everything for the 10, they delegated right. it. Right. And it, it, regardless of the size of the church, especially though, if you've ever been in a small church, you realize that, you may have to wear more than one hat. Everybody's got to pitch in if it's going to work. Now, in larger congregations, you can kind of coast along, but the smaller the group gets, the more personally accountable every member has to be to the work if it's going to be successful. Well, the lesson, Tuesday's lesson basically just goes over 1 Corinthians 12 and how, you know, the different gifts and talents mm -hmm. in the church. And so that's just, you know, the small group is a way of incorporating that. And there's a quote by Ellen White, um, one, two, three, fourth paragraph down, from Testimonies, Volume 7, she says the formation of small companies as a basis, notice this, as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. And then she qualifies, if there is a large number in the church, let the members be formed into small companies, et cetera, et cetera. So right. even here are some qualifiers, which we're going to see as we move forward. But small groups can be an effective way um, 
and, and we're going to see this, some of our churches already are small groups. <laughs> yes. I mean, it may surprise some of our viewers, but we've got churches here in Michigan, and not just a few, that have 10 or 20 members. Yeah. Uh, who Definitely double digits less, only, yeah, but even the smaller end of yeah, that. Yeah, I've been to a church recently that just had five attending. Mm. So I'm just, and and it doesn't equal health. Right, the, 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 <laughs> the, the power doesn't automatically come with the small numbers, but it's the mission of that and the organization of that. And I, I want to pick up on something as we transition to our point number two, mm-hmm. how focus on ministry is essential to small group health, yes. that every time we see Notice in the example in the Old Testament, they were organized for service, right? To help do the work. In Mark chapter 6, when God, Christ, organizes them, it's so they can partake partake in the mission. Even that quote that you just read, the formation of small companies as a what? A basis of Christian effort. Yes. Not just a basis of Christian society or or a church, you know, involvement, but it's, it's... it's always in the context of service and outreach and participation and work for the Lord where small groups really fires on all pistons, right? That's right. And that's what it says in the bottom of Thursday's lesson. Uh, the last paragraph there says, The focus of all effective small groups is witness and service. Amen. Small group ministry will soon die out if its focus is inward and not outward. And that's an excellent point to be made because, the, you know, the lesson brings up um, in different places, the, the, how small groups are safe havens, and it gives a place for people to express their problems. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen this ha- what happened this way is, is that a lot of churches, their small groups dwindle into self-help groups mm. and, and counseling groups. And they mm. think that's the means of strengthening and nurturing. And so it's a, it's a, it's a nurturing ministry. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the, the key point here is Focus on ministry is essential for small group health. Small groups aren't automatically healthy because they're small groups. And we talked about this, number one. A lot of our churches are small groups themselves, (laughs) and they're not healthy. Uh, A small group can provide opportunity for gossip and criticism. Right. Uh, If you lose that mission focus, that outward focus, that inward is going to be a death spiral. A lot of churches have had that kind of small group for for ages. That's right. That's nothing new there. And in fact, we talked about it. You look up, take the dictionary and look up the word click. I've heard people say, oh, I don't like that church. There's too many clicks in it. All a click is is a small group. Mm-hmm. It's just a small group with a different focus. That's right. And, and so I just want right. to be clear that just having small groups, unless somebody is making sure those small groups are ministry-minded, they right. could actually do more harm to the church than good to them. And that's, again, not to say that there isn't a place for nurture and accountability and checking in on each other and making sure, you know, those are all good things. But if it only stays there, if that becomes the... Uh, reason for existence, it will not exist too much longer. It's going to have a, a big problem ahead. That's right. So I included a couple statements. You know, th- th- we, we've talked about this before. I don't know if we've shared it in the talking points, but this concept of nurture is very misunderstood. This is one of those yes. teaching moments. Yes. <laughs> because nurture, people will say, listen, I know we need to do outreach and this whole quarter's on witnessing and people say, but we've got to nurture our own. And there's a misunderstanding about how to nurture the church. The idea is that if we focus on each other and we coddle one another and we listen to each other's problems, that's going to nurture or help us grow. And let me even back up and say, Mm. nurturing, the word nurture means to help something grow. I've asked classes I've taught before, what kind of things do you nurture? And the two top answers are babies and plants. Yeah, things well, you expect and need to grow. Yeah. And, and, and nurturing a baby and nurturing a plant is you're doing what you can to help it grow. Mm-hmm. 
Now, with that in mind, listen to what inspiration tells us helps us grow spiritually. This is from the book Christian Service, page 69. It says, let ministers teach church members that in order to grow in spirituality, mm-hmm. so this is spiritual nurture, they must carry the burden, they, the members, must carry the burden that the Lord has laid upon them, the burden of leading souls into the truth. In thus working, they, the members, will have the cooperation of heavenly angels and will obtain an experience that will increase their faith and give them a stronghold on God. Mm-hmm. So notice that nurture comes not from focusing inwardly, but it's as I seek to lead others into the truth, that's how we are nurtured mm. spiritually. Mm. Notice this from Testimonies to Ministers, number, uh, page 232, similar to what you were just talking about. The time you devote to imparting constantly to those who understand the message of warning will not give one tithe of the strength, that is one-tenth of the strength, mm-hmm. which they would receive in taking hold of the work to communicate life to perishing souls. So if ministers are always pouring into the members, if members mm-hmm. are always pouring into each other in these small groups, yes. if it all becomes self-focused and self-centered, lo and behold, we're not going to get the nurture we have anticipated would come from that very ministry. We're actually going to be dwindling in our faith. That's right. And, you know, I can ha- I'm can. i sure there are viewers who disagree, but I'm going to tell you from my pastoral experience, and, and I'm looking at two decades now, I've watched this time and again. I've watched small Mm. groups who say, I don't agree with that pastor, and we're just going to build each other up, and we're going to focus on each other, and we're going to counsel each other. And those things dwindle and turn into train wrecks. Oftentimes, Mm. they turn into uh, criticizing sections, Mm. sessions, rather, and and the people end up being the bitterest enemies who are in the small groups. And I'm not saying that's an automatic thing that's going to happen. But the point is that focus on ministry is essential to small group health. It's not mm-hmm. that there, there, there shouldn't be those other elements, the safe haven and the fellowship, but it has to happen in the context of ministry. That's what keeps the small group healthy. Right. And we've heard so many, at least when I was and, growing And you'll up, never find it biblically. You'll never find the biblical small group that just, just gets together, together and hangs yeah. out right. and eats you know meals together yeah. and, and plays board games together, and they never do any ministry together. Well, even in Acts chapter 2, when they all share together, right, it's always they're praying for each other, they're getting That's st- right. studying, and, they're, and the Bible always, always in those t- cases talks about how the church increased because of their witness. It That's always exactly was tied right. to the growth of the church. And so when I was growing by, I always heard about, ah, oh, man, the church is just a social club. Yet when I come into ministry, I hear people saying, you know what we need more of? Social. We need more. When yeah. the reality is we actually build up our community by being side by side in labor for Christ. Well, my brother Jim talks about, he uses the term being spiritually social. Mm. Um, because again, you can build friendships on different levels, but y- you want to build spiritual friendships. Yes. And uh, the social is, is fine, but as Christians, especially living in light of the second coming of Jesus, we want those social relationships to be wrapped up with who we are spiritually. Mm. Um, anyway, so small groups can be an effective way to minister for sure. Amen. And the focus on ministry is essential to small group health. We see that in the biblical model. Mm-hmm. Point number three, Sabbath school is the original small group. And all God's I people mean, said, amen. That's <laughs> I'm right. telling you that it, it's small groups have been the latest and greatest new cutting edge thing <laughs> for, for 20 years at yeah. least now. Again, I say that because that's, yeah. I've been in the church about 20, 25 years and I was out of the church and I've small groups, small groups, small groups, small right. groups. Like it's this new novel, right. you know, but they've been around for a while. Yes, and it would be remiss of us. We would be derelict in our duty and as the Sabbath school department and not talk about the importance right. of Sabbath school as the small group. And 
And, and let me tell you, the... Well, and let's clarify, too, not just Sabbath schools, because our Sabbath schools aren't functioning that way anymore. No, in but other words, the, the original <laughs> yes. plan for Sabbath school, which you're going to touch on, That's right. is what we're trying to get to in our in our conference, and, right. and that, that form of small group, small group ministry, et cetera. And in the Sabbath school, you have three distinct things you don't find in other aspects of the church work. First of all, you have that uh, focus on the mission which you had take a mission offering and you have the world mission reports through like the, uh, you know, the... Ideally. Uh, ideally, right? <laughs> if we were doing it all as we were intended to do. Uh, but you would have those uh, mission spotlight video f- presentations. Yes. You'd, you'd hear reports from missionaries in the front lines and have a mission focus. You'd have that large foundation of Bible study and prayer. Where, we went by back the way, on mission and we'd be sharing our personal that's right. mission it, would, it wouldn't just be global mission. It would be local we mission. It would just be personal turning mission, the TV right? on necessarily and watching what other people are doing. So imagine be, if every Sabbath school group had a mission and they reported on it. And then every individual is out seeking souls and they can share testimonies about it. Every individual class. Yes. So you have mission spotlight for the church. But when your classes and they're usually right. multiple in your class, you're talking about what you mission, did that week. Right. And then yeah, every we, individual is spurred on like, uh, here's some literature you can share. Here's a tactic. And maybe even the person you brought to class. Amen, right. So you've got that mission, and it doesn't have to be exhaustive, take the whole time, but man, that could be a central feature of every Sabbath school. Number two, you have that devotional time of Bible study and prayer that is unparalleled in any other, and you could say, well, I go to church and I hear a sermon, but let me tell you, friends, studying a Sabbath school lesson and the Bible study that comes through that is very different than listening to a sermon. Yes. Right? Because there's this is time for dialogue. You know the lesson ahead of time. You've been preparing. You've been thinking. The Holy Spirit's been leading all week long for this conversation. It's very different than the sermon you're well, just going to Well, the dynamics receive. we talked about, the small group, where you're able to share concerns and right. and it's more personable. Everything right. in it. Is, Which leads to the third thing, that you have that you, small group fellowship, that even if a church mm-hmm. of 100, 200, 300 members, every small group, I mean, every Sabbath school group ideally is a small group where they can... Like, for instance, if you miss church in a church that has 300 members, maybe somebody won't notice. But I promise you, if you're in a church with a Sabbath school group with eight members or something, they'll know the minute you're not there. If you're late, they'll check in on you. Not because they're nosy, not because they're picky. They care about you, right? So you're going to get the nurture, you get the outreach mission focus, you get the Bible study feature. It's a beautiful thing. some of our members, I'm sure, are thinking, well, wait a minute. I mean, we you can't really do, you know, you talked about the importance of ministry, you can't really do ministry because we only meet on Saturday morning. <laughs> well, that's the other misconception. You go back to the book of Acts and you notice that they were at church more than just on the Sabbath day. They were in their homes. They were during the week. They were encouraging. They were, If they had phones, they'd be using them to talk to each other. That there's a network, a society so of service. So you're saying that the, uh, uh, a local church Sabbath school class could actually fellowship outside of class. Not only they, they could, have could a... but they should, I would say that, yes. And why couldn't you invite people, to, and I, I, I probably shouldn't say it this way, but I've repeatedly said that we need to stop inviting people to church. And by that, I mean we need to start inviting people to Sabbath school because Sabbath school has that family kind of atmosphere, that small group society where they can be themselves more. You can have that shared fellowship, have dynamic of dialogue, then you can uh, really dive into Bible study more. Why don't we invite people to our Sabbath school groups? Why don't we have little Mm. business cards advertising them, invite our neighbors and friends and relatives, whatever. Anyway, I get excited talking about this exciting way to get involved, but uh, the small group is one of God's methods, his organizational tools for working the the mission that he's given us to do. And we recognize that early on as Seventh-day Adventists and developed it into Sabbath schools. And our Sabbath schools, unfortunately, have gotten away from that. And now people say, hey, 
let's do something new. So like let's a start small up a small group, group study. It's like, and, and yeah. all the while, we've got this small group, and we're getting young people involved <laughs> in it, and the Sabbath schools are still languishing, languishing or yeah. dying uh, instead of us utilizing what we already right. have in place and making the Sabbath schools worth something to come to. <laughs> Amen. You know? And oftentimes I feel like uh, we're always seeking to reinvent the wheel when we just are yeah. neglecting to drive the car the Lord has already built for us. Yes. So we're not saying anything against the novelty of small groups. We're building up small groups and saying, praise the Lord, he's well, we're already just given it to us. It's not a novel. It's not a novel <laughs> at all, right? Uh, if you want to think it is, that's fine, but it's been waiting here all along. Let's so, just use it. Amen. So we would encourage everyone to be part of a small group. If their whole church is a small group, get involved. If your Sabbath yeah. is a small group, get involved. But be part of that small group ministry where you can have the nurture of Christian fellowship, the Bible study element that we all need, and especially that outreach mission focus that the Lord has given so we can share our faith effectively and by God's grace, hasten the coming of Jesus. Amen. You want to close with a word of prayer for us, please? Yes, let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we are just thankful for uh, the privilege we have of knowing you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Lord, the privilege we have of ministering to others, and we thank you for our churches and our Sabbath schools and the potential we have to uh, minister together and, and form uh, bands of Christian workers. I pray, Lord, that you will be with our viewers and the Sabbath school classes across this conference and beyond as they're considering ways that they can better utilize small group ministry uh, to reach people for your kingdom. Again, Lord, we thank you for listening, hearing, and answering. Before we pray.